Welcome to Never Was a Gamer, the show where a late-blooming gamer makes up for lost time playing everyone else's formative games. I'm Michelle, and with me as always is absolutely no one, because you are all alone in this dying world, and nothing good can last. Dimitri. <laughs> I thought you'd prefer that to my backseat gaming. <laughs> oh, we could talk about that. Why didn't you roll? Roll! Roll! roll. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to shield. <laughs> hey, you did it. Yeah. You beat Dark Souls. Yeah, way to not bury the lead. Yeah, I beat Dark Souls. I finished it. You. I'm the darkest soul of all, <laughs> I think. I don't really understand. <laughs> Questions remain, <laughs> but most bosses have been vanquished. Uh-huh. Not the optional ones, all of them. <laughs> so, you might have done some of the optional ones. I opted not to. <laughs> but you did it. You beat Dark Souls. How are you feeling? Uh, conflicted. You, do you feel like a gamer? Sort of. Whoa. Like a bit. Like in a way more than I thought I would. Huh. But I think that's because of this whole season. I think that's a cumulative effect. I don't think that's just a thing that Dark Souls unlocked. Okay. Yeah. So I want to get right into Dark Souls. So maybe if you just set it up in a sentence or two, you know, what you do in this game, you know, for all those non-gamers out there. Oh, my God. <laughs> I've crossed over. <laughs> you know, not good enough. Yeah. In case you haven't heard a million dudes already talk about Dark Souls so much, you could just about spit. Dark Souls is a game where you play as a character called the Chosen Undead, who is going to venture through a very, like, dark fantasy sort of dying world to fight a bunch of guys, including a bunch of extremely large bosses, uh, on a quest to uh, rekindle, maybe, the dying flame that powers this world with your sword and shield, or staff, or magic, or miracles, or whatever. <laughs> There's a lot of rolling. For some. There's a lot of putting up your shield, putting down your shield. Yep. Shield work is pretty crucial in this. A lot of dying. Which I like. Yeah, you died. It we tells all, you. We all died. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds you time and time again. Yeah. You died. But I guess the big question to start off with, the moment we've been waiting for, did you enjoy this game? It's the last time during our, our holiday special, so I encourage you to go listen to that if you didn't already. Michelle took all the games that we played this season and, and did a little tier list. Mm -hmm. Where does this go in your tier list? I think it is an... Uh, it's an A-. minus. That's not a rank. No. It's, it's an A, I guess. Oh, reluctant A. <laughs> it's a reluctant A. It's a really uh, B-flavored A. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's an A with some hesitation. But overall, then, you really like this game. Yes. The things that I... So here's what it is. The things that I liked in this game, I liked a whole lot. Um, the, the handful of things that I didn't like in this game, I really... I'm just like, cool, I never have to deal with those again. <laughs> That's great. That's out of my life forever. Okay, let's start in a big picture, the general loop of the game. What did you think of that? So the general progression of Dark Souls is that you start out as your character in this really hostile world. You go forth and fight a lot of guys and collect souls along the way. And the way that you progress or level up in this game is you get to a bonfire, which is basically the checkpointing system of this game, mm -hmm. and you can sit there to use your souls to level up. Yeah. If you die along the way, you lose all your souls, you go back to the previous bonfire and you must go back to where you died to reclaim your souls. Yeah. Otherwise, if you die again, everything is lost. Yeah. So that's the general uh, loop that gets you through the game, allows you to level up, gets you closer to the bosses that you fight. Mm -hmm. Did you enjoy this? 
So this part I enjoyed a whole lot. Okay. I I really like the implementation of the soul system in this game. Finding bonfires and having bonfires be these little like life rafts in the middle of these really hostile areas. All that stuff I really liked. I love the the risk benefit calculations that having a bunch of souls or not having any souls with you at any given moment brings into your exploration and your playtime doing that math of like, is this risk worth it? Oh, mm -hmm. crap. I have like almost enough souls to level up. Okay, I'm going to be cautious. This is not mm -hmm. worth it. I got to get somewhere safe. And some of the some of the desperation you start to feel sometimes when you've got a whole bunch of souls and you have no idea where you're going and you're like out in the wilds and you don't know when there's going to be a bonfire. Like so much of that stuff was really, really fun. I think that's such a clever way to manage sort of the scaling in this game. And I don't know. I just found myself doing like constantly running like risk calculations in my mm -hmm. head with everything that you're doing in this game. Uh, and I found all that stuff really fun and really rewarding. Yeah, the bonfires really do create kind of this home, the sense of home base, mm -hmm. whichever the previous bonfire you are at. And yeah, the, the further you get from that one, not knowing when the next one is, some bonfires are incredibly far apart. Yeah. And so it becomes, yeah. So or so hard to find. Right. You start out from the bonfire. When you're close to a bonfire, right, you're you're taking risks. Yeah, whatever. You're, you're, being, you're living on the edge. Yeah. You're fighting everything <laughs> that comes in your way. And then as you start to bank the souls, but get further from that bonfire, yeah. not knowing the next one is, right? You become more hesitant. Yeah. Maybe you'll try to stealth around an enemy. Or if you know, if you start if they start to swarm you, you instead of trying to fight them, you'll you'll run. Yep. So as you're playing it, you did mention this game felt run based and you were playing Hades at the same time as you were mm -hmm. playing this. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, did playing Hades help you through your Dark Souls? Or did that help kind of give you a mindset that lent itself to getting through Dark Souls? So absolutely. And I think actually most of the fun that I had with this game, I think I had because of that run-based mindset. Because it was like, my play wasn't predicated on the idea that like I should be surviving and I should be making all this progress and getting through multiple bosses. And some of the JRPG stuff that you get where like you don't die that often, you know? Instead, it was like, you're gonna die. The question is when you're gonna die. Will it be right now or <laughs> shortly? <laughs> Those are the two amounts of time. Um, and so it's about, okay, what can I achieve on this run? What am I, what's the most strategic use of uh, my character's body where we are right now to get me to whatever it is that I'm trying to achieve, whether that's, you know, it gets you into weird, fun things where like sometimes it's worth it for you to just do a suicide run to like just tear after one item you can see in the distance and you're like this is gonna kill me but when i wake up at my bonfire i'll have whatever that floaty item is right thankfully and i think this is a really good design decision that the items you claim you claim them. you don't need to bank them at a bonfire if you yeah. claim an item and you die you still retain that item yeah i mean the flip side of that <laughs> is that all items are consumable and disposable and they do not respawn because you died and and regenerated at a bonfire except for your Estus, your your basic healing mechanism. But, you know, if you have three items that give you a fire attack, you know, if you use that three times to go fight a boss, you're, that's it. No more fire. <laughs> like, yeah. And here's, and so if you get to Bloodborne, because I know you were interested in playing Bloodborne, maybe instead of Dark Souls or mm -hmm. maybe later, your health is a consumable in Bloodborne. See, that sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> it is. Like as much as I kind of liked it. Yeah. <laughs> Even you were like, yeah, yeah, it sucks. It's at a certain point you bank enough that you don't really run out because okay. it's, 
you can you can find it easily enough but still there are those moments then when oh shit i'm out of health i need to spend some time and you know and yeah farming for farming yeah just health which you know takes you away from the the boss which is usually the <laughs> object at hand yeah but yeah, I do. I think that's such an interesting and useful framing of what the experience of playing Dark Souls is. And I think it's thinking about it as a run makes the game less frustrating. Yeah, I think it really short circuited my failure response, which mm -hmm. I think was really crucial for me being able to enjoy what I was ever going to enjoy in this game. Right. Because mm -hmm. we, we talked a little bit about how I tend to get frustrated uh, in in a bad way by the feeling that I'm failing or not progressing. And and I just get the feeling like I don't even want to engage with something sometimes mm -hmm. if it triggers that feeling too much in me. And so I think that the run-based, you know, it's not about not dying. It's about seeing what you can accomplish before you do. I think that was like the best framing I could possibly have entered this <laughs> game with. Because, yeah, I think I've been talking a little bit about how, you know, you're doing that risk assessment about going further, continuing to explore further. And a lot of that exploration stuff was some of what I liked best about this game. That's what I was expecting that you would like the most. Yeah. Just how the world is constructed based it's incredible. on things you like from other games. Yeah. It takes the absolute best lessons from Super Metroid, from some of the Zelda design in terms of how the space is going to loop back around and connect on itself uh, you'll open up surprising shortcuts back to places you've been before that you couldn't pass through. All of that is just, it's so incredible. Like I kept multiple times over the course of this game, I kept thinking, I wonder if anyone has ever tried to make in real space, like a 3D model of this entire world with like all the passageways that all connect to each other. There's so many times when you're in an area and you've kind of lost track of where you are, then all of a sudden you'll pop out to a vista and you'll look across a huge chasm and recognize a place across the way that you mm -hmm. were a couple hours ago. Like it just, it feels so grounded and so like real. Um, and the fact that you go most of the game without fast travel really yeah. builds on that feeling. <laughs> yeah, so many of the games we've played this season uh, Super Metroids and Zeldas especially, right? I think they take for granted the the pleasure of, you know, mapping a space and learning a space. And this game really just makes it so literal. It's mm -hmm. one of the greatest rewards that you can have in this game is figuring out that two places are connected yeah. and, and understanding how to get from point A to point B faster, more efficiently. Yeah. That it, that's really the only way that you can complete this game. And yeah, like the first moment I remember for me too, the first time I played this, I think it's in the Undead Berg when you really open the first shortcut, which if I remember correctly, is this ladder that you just knocked down mm -hmm. and you go down the ladder and then you see a bonfire and then you recognize it as the bonfire that yeah. you came from and you yeah. realize that, oh, my God, like I didn't get to a new place, but this is way better. I actually. Yeah, I yes, actually exactly. Found an easier way to get where I'm going. That's cl that makes me closer to a bonfire now. Yeah, 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 yeah. All that stuff is so cool. And crucially, there's no map, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I love and the no lack of a map. There's no waypointing. There's no map. And, you know, I I would hear an argument that that is like the game being, you know, more opaque than it needs to be. But truthfully, I don't know that I wanted a map. I don't know that I would have. I mean, I probably would have used it if it was there. But like, I think I was I think the game is stronger for not having it. And I think the game through its through its layouts, through its environmental design, through its memorable enemy placement like a lot of what makes it possible to navigate is knowing where all the guys are like oh yeah there's this guy who's got a bow who's gonna be over here mm -hmm. and then those two and that sort of anchors you like okay and then up here there's gonna be this little tower thing it just it's so learnable um it's it's a 
memorable, knowable world where like even late in the game when you have to remember where stuff was that you visited a long time ago, everything is a Metroidvania. I was surprised how easily I was like, oh yeah, I know exactly where that is. Right, and that's so satisfying when yeah. you realize that you know this space. Again, like that's how I felt the first time playing the original Grand Theft Auto 3. Mm. Coming out of that, I knew every street of that game. Mm. And you know, playing more recent Grand Theft Autos, I just kind of rely on the on yeah. the waypointing system. I don't really know those cities. You go find your contact and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, this it's something I said, I think I said throughout as you were playing, right? This is a difficult game, but it's not a cruel game. Yeah. And and, mm. and I think in terms of the level design, it's designed so meticulously. It's designed knowing that okay, the player's not gonna have a map, but we want to make this space as easy to navigate as possible without a map. We're not gonna make it so obtuse that they can't find their way around it. Mm -hmm. Right. That that it's it's designed very intentionally and clearly has been kind of play tested. Well, and there's something about the way it handles enemy placement also that turns, you know, especially if you're at one of the many places where you have to make a short run from a bonfire through, you know, a little bit of area before you get to a boss. So you, you're going to fight bosses a couple of times, at least in this game each, which we'll talk about later. But, you know, by the if you get to that point, you almost because the enemy placement is so well thought out and so consistent, um, you almost get to the point where you you're doing like fight choreography to mm, get to mm -hmm. the boss, like as opposed to like, oh, I see there's a guy. Okay, I have to fight the guy. Okay, let's take two more steps and then look at what's going on. You just get to like, okay, I go left here. I'm gonna I can just run around that guy here. I can scoop between those two before they hit me. I'm gonna do a dodge roll to get past that guy, and then I'm gonna be at the boss. Mm -hmm. Um, and that also Figuring that out feels really good. It, you just feel so proud of yourself and so skilled, even though those guys are doing the same thing every time. Like you really do not need to be that proud of yourself for that. <laughs> but I don't know. I was like, I felt so I felt like I had command of the space at that point, you know, and you're just like not even bothering with these dudes who are coming after you. Like I got a boss to be at. So moving around the space is one thing, but did you actually enjoy being in the world of Dark Souls? I know one of your concerns was that it was going to be this type of dark fantasy setting that you're usually not that attracted to. Yeah. Did it give you enough variety of locations so that you were kind of engaged by the locations themselves or were you relatively bored by the by the art design here? So this game is smart in how it doles out its environmental design because the first, other than Firelink Shrine is sort of your master hub for the entire, the entire game. You return there multiple, multiple times, tons of different zones linked back to it. But um, the first couple of, you know, non-Firelink Shrines places you go to are all variations on like a uh, castle gray brick city with undead skeleton-ish things mm -hmm. in them. Uh, there's a couple different iterations of that with their own tricks. But I think it makes sense to do that first, right? Because at that point, you're still figuring out the game and it can still surprise and impress you with its trick about like the example you gave looping back around to the same bonfire. So you have that for for sort of the the scratching the creative itch over that period. But like the back three quarters of this game, I'm going to say, are almost uniformly excellent, really interesting visual and aesthetic locations with like pretty distinctive enemies in a lot of the different areas bosses that make sense with the location and its lore like there's there's a there's a surprising amount of variety honestly i mean i loved dark group basin even though it scared the hell out of me 
I found that the creepiest place in the entire game. You found uh, Dark Root Base in the creepiest place in the entire game. Yes. To the end. Even when I was super overpowered when I went back, I was like, I this is so scary. Do you want to describe what that is and, and why <laughs> no, that I can't. scared you? It's like scary woods with like kind of fog and like a dampness to everything. <laughs> But it's just like there's so one thing is there's lots of uh, kind of wide open spaces. And this is the first time I think apart from Firelink Shrine, that's yeah, you know, kind there's of no enemies, hub. really. Yeah, but this is yeah, really your first really open area. It's terrifying. It's so scary. When you first come here, a lot of the bosses are like, well, at least they were too hard for me the first time I visited. And I think you re- retain a little bit of that anxiety when you come back. But yeah, it just it feels like a. Foggy, poisonous, mysterious forest where everything is alive and everything is dangerous. Relative to so many other places, not that poisonous. <laughs> well, as we would learn. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I just I just love it. And there's sort of ruins of old castles and stuff. Like it's it's great. I loved uh Seath's archives. The, oh, Duke's, yeah, the Duke's archives, yeah. So cool. It's so cool that right, like Seath, this big dragon, has installed himself there and you can Imagine that he's doing research and like he's yeah. reading these books. Just big old dragon reading books. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. It's so great. And he's got these weird crystal go- like results of his experiments, but it like doesn't lean on that too hard. It's just it's great. Um, I love the catacombs and the depths, like all that. It's oh, just- even even when it got so dark. Yeah, I sort of liked it. Hmm. Yeah, it was very hard. There are many frustrating things that happen in the catacombs. However, I still thought it's so cool. It feels so dangerous. Even at a point when you you've really got your feet under you in the game by this point, you know, it's late game. It's like full of these giants tombs and like weird sort of platforming descent. You're just descending forever. Like it's just so cool. Um, and Orlando, unexpected, beautiful, like home of this world's like gods kind of so distinct from everything else. Incredible introduction of that uh, place. You get flown there by these gargoyles after this huge fight, like so much of the environmental design is just so good in this. Yeah, we're going very out of order. Yeah, here, but that's. I mean, I can't help it. <laughs> and yeah, the place you're at before in Orlando, I think, is my favorite, which is Sense Fortress. Oh yeah, I love Sense Fortress. It's like an Indiana Jones temple. Yeah, that you have to navigate full of traps and rolling boulders and you know arrows that shoot out of the wall. Yeah, and snake creature and one of knights. the one of the peak areas folding back in and recrossing over the same spaces like Zelda dungeon mm-hmm. style, like mm-hmm. where you'll be on the lowest level at one point, then you'll come back through the same space midway up and mm-hmm. then another time from a weird angle. And then you'll like turn a thing that makes a whole room rotate. Like, yeah, it's. And also that run from, you know, you've got your bonfire kind of right outside it where you know, you've got a bonfire near a blacksmith. Yeah. And and from there, you can go into Sense Fortress. And it, it's so far to the next bonfire. <laughs> and that bonfire is kind of hidden out of the way. Yeah. I remember the first time I played it. Thank God my brother was around. And he's like, look, I'm just going to tell you where this one bonfire is because it's going to save you a lot of headaches. Yeah. And you had to do that for me, too, because I was like running. I was like ready to run yeah, right I, past I, it. And you I, were like, uh. <laughs> yeah, I paid that forward because it's so far. It's it's really just, yeah, like this discrete level that's just this treacherous temple. And it's so different from anything else in the game. I, it rules. I love Sense Fortress. It's it's a point where I think the difficulty kind of scales up, but it's so cool and interesting and different. You really just want to power through it. Yeah, I loved it. I mean, I felt that way about most of hmm. the new 
zones whenever I was exploring. I mean, obviously there were some where I was a little like I didn't like being in the sewers. Really, that was like not an mm-hmm. enjoyable thing for me. I think that's the part when you were there. I'm like, oh yeah, the sewers. I remember the boss of the sewers, which we'll get to. Yeah, but I think in my mind, especially after playing, you know, some of the other Dark Souls and Bloodborne, I just forgot that that existed. Yeah, it's funny that they even bother with something like <laughs> sewers in, mm-hmm. in this like you know, magical sort of fantasy world. Um, But yeah, it's real gross. And of course we have to address it because it's the one thing you knew about this game or the one location you really knew about this game before playing it, which is of course, yeah, infamous Blight Town. It was not that bad. (laughs) Well, I mean, I had the frame, like my frame rate was fine, smooth as butter. So to be clear, Michelle played the remastered version on the PS4. So it did not have the stuttering, you know, 10 frames per second frame rate that those of us who played it on the PS3 might have had. I cannot imagine doing it like that. I feel like that's part of the experience, having that stuttering frame rate. Like, it's not Blight Town if you're not stuttering your way through it. See, this this is like, this is like... I worked hard and paid (laughs) off my student loans and no one else should get loan (laughs) forgiveness. It was this a is real like blight. I had it bad, me. and so should you. <laughs> this is bad logic. This I still, is sloppy thinking. I just think you're going to lack character because you didn't really struggle through Blight Town. Not a real gamer, <laughs> unless you had a shitty frame rate on Blight Town. It was actually kind of nice to watch you go through Blight you're Town. You're like, oh, that's what it looks like. Yeah, because you can actually get a sense <laughs> of the space. It's kind of cool. The design, I the environmental work, I really like. It's sort of a. a like sh- a poisonous, like shanty town built into the inside of a cave, like a vertical shanty town. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that vertical stuff, I really, really, I don't know why I have a soft spot for like very vertical villages or towns or whatever in games generally. And then you spend a bunch of time at the bottom of this like a uh, swampy, poisonous sort of area, and that part also was very intense. That was a lot of like provoking enormous enemies and then running away, like. You know, leaning into your cowardice and your uh, run for the item impulses. Right. And the, and like I said, the one reason that I was so reluctant to play this game at first is because I heard people, you know, who are gushing about this game otherwise on a podcast talk about how difficult Blight Town was and how the floor is poison. Yeah. And that just seemed... Which it is. And it is. And that seemed so unpleasant. And <laughs> I didn't want to play it because like, I just don't want to have to deal with this poison, like being poisoned yeah. all the time. Yeah. You got through it pretty easily. Pretty okay. I mean, I... I think because I kind of knew it was coming and I knew it was poison affiliated, I kept an eye the whole way through on uh, what armor I was picking up that had high poison resistance. And I basically just paid attention to no other stats for my Blight Town setup. I just put on everything that gave me the most armor. And so I think I had like uh, like 80 or 85% poison resistance by the end, which meant I had a lot more wiggle room in terms of how long I could be in the water. But yeah, for me, this was like um, this was like the water temple in Ocarina. I heard so much about it in advance that it was like everyone's nightmare and like the blemish on a game that they otherwise love. So is loved. this another nominee for the fans are wrong? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know about Blight Town specifically. I mean, I'm not sure. But it was not the place in the game that I got the stuckest, nor where I had the least fun. Huh. It seems like a bit of a humble brag. Uh, but with that, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, We'll talk more in detail about your actual experience moving through this game, getting through it, not being that bothered by Blighttown.
and we're back. And I need to ask you the big question that must be asked. Was this game as hard as you were expecting? Sometimes. <laughs> At points. Um, so this game overall is, it is difficult, I would say. Um, there's not a lot of places that, that aren't. You certainly need to keep your wits about you all the time, but that's something I came to like. I really like and appreciate the fact that even when you're just in your little, you know, out in the world exploring, you know, dealing with like low level guys, they still can kill you like easily. If you're not paying attention to those little dinky skeletons can still like take you out pretty late in the game. So this is something that I really, I was into this. I loved the exploring and navigating and that stuff parts of this game, including the combat in those. I guess I need to state this now, but you were really good at this game. Thank you. I need to explain how well you did at the beginning. You, oh, yeah. I crushed it at the beginning. When you honestly. started this game, you did so well. You made it <laughs> to the first bonfire in the undead burg without dying. Yeah. That means you went through the asylum. Mm -hmm. You fought the asylum demon. Mm -hmm. You escaped. You got to Firelink Shrine. And again, I was not giving you any navigational tips. And so here's how most people, when they get to Firelink Shrine, here's how most people's trajectory goes. Mm-hmm. You know, they go forward and the path that seems the most obvious to them is kind of down to the graveyard. To the left. Yeah. And those skeletons right. that are very much more powerful than you are at this point, you know, rise up, kill you. Yeah. That's, that's kind of how you learn. Right. You know, Michelle goes over there and says, I, no, I don't want to go there. Goes back and then somehow notices the path up the mountain to the undead bird. <laughs> like off to the side, not marked. Yeah, that is clearly... The design of this open level is really to try to get you to go to the more obvious, more dangerous places first, uh, just so you can kind of get your bearings, understand what the game is, and then finally go, you know, you'll notice that little path up the mountain to the undead burg. No, Michelle just goes there. You know why? Why? Looking for secrets. Oh, so you were, you were, you thought that can't be where you need to go. Yes. So and so I was like, oh, first. I'm going to go check over. It's it's the uh, same thing as I was coming through the asylum. I also even in the little outside parts was like poking around off all the edges. Seeing, and there were there were chests, there were items I was finding stuff. So I was like, OK, this is a game where there's going to be side paths and non-essential ways to go. And generally, I'm going to be rewarded for poking around in those. So I 100 percent was like. I'm sure through that big building is where I need to go, but I see this little thing over here and it's the furthest to the right. So I'm exploring like from right to left, like my path mm -hmm. options. And then it just turned out to be the right one. Yeah. And you, you went up there, you cleared out the first set of enemies and you just kept going and progressing and progressing. And you got to that bonfire pretty much unscathed with a good load of souls. A little bit of panicking. Here and there. Yeah. Still not incredible at combat at that point. But yeah, I was I was proud. And honestly, I think it set a tone for the entire game that I played that first part in the presence of you and your brother. And you both were like really on my side. Like you both were really like, I cannot believe how good you're doing. You know, and the that like it gave me the it made me believe in myself. That like I can do this. And then you turned on me immediately. Yeah, as a spectator, <laughs> very disappointing that you weren't having these Dark Souls moments. But then pretty soon after you got to the bonfire, I think after you, I think it was the thing, you felt your sense of security. So you felt like you could be a little more reckless. Yeah. And then you had the first great Dark Souls moment. <laughs> so again, you're in the Undead Berg. You have about 2,000 souls, which at this point in the game is a lot. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a level up or it's very close to a level up. And 
you're wandering around, you're exploring, and you encounter your first black knight. Mm-hmm. And who, I don't know what that is at this point. But he's just a big guy. Yeah, these these enemies are much more intimidating than anything you've seen so far. You can tell just by looking at them that yeah. that you know they could kick your ass. Yeah. And uh, and he does, and you die. But you know you want to get your your souls back. Mm-hmm. And so this black knight is kind of facing away from you, <laughs> and your souls now are kind of behind him. So he's looking the other way. His souls are also kind of behind him, like right behind him. Yeah, so you want to get your souls back. So you get back down there and uh, you put on your sneaking suit. <laughs> yep. And you sneak up to the night and you get your souls. And then you turn around and start walking away. And then you think you're far enough away. So you start to run. Unbeknownst to you, he hears you. And then you realize that he's chasing you. Yeah. And then you go and you run up a tower and you realize it's a dead end. <laughs> he he follows you. You start rolling away and running back the way you came. <laughs> And you run back to where he was and run past where he was and realize that's also a dead end. <laughs> He's still chasing me. And then he kills you. Yes. And, so, and then. So now my got, souls are stuck past where he yeah. rests. And so you try to get your souls again. And this time you're going and you're doing okay. But on your way there, you fumble. You get stuck in the menu. Yeah. <laughs> and a bunch of regular skeletons kill you. And that's Dark Souls, baby. <laughs> That's the worst thing about the controls in this entire game is like the getting in and out of the menu. It's like very (laughs) easy to because there's no real pause in this game. Like time continues. You cannot tell the game, please chill for a minute while I go to the bathroom. It's still going. So you can very easily. And I did so many times in the beginning, still have the little menu, the little quick menu thing up, which means you can't control your character or fight. But. Everyone else can still fight yeah, you. Yeah, it took you a while to remember to close oh out of the menu. Oh my God, I died so many times but, because of that. But yeah, that Dark Souls experience, when you're doing so well and you know, you're know you so prepped to go fight this, you know, a boss or, or a really powerful enemy. You got a plan. And you have a plan and you're so focused on that plan that you forget about the little shitty skeletons and they come and they stab you to death. Yep. Yeah, once that happened, I knew I was in for a good time as a spectator. You know, another thing that actually I think helped me get through this a lot was my uh, RPG hoarder training around items. (laughs) I was so stingy in my item use, which which is just how I am as a player. (laughs) You know, I I always, not just in this game, but always feel like there will be a time down the road when I will need an item more and I'll be happy that I have it. So I'm so reluctant to use consumables Mm -hmm. like in the moment. And so I was so sparing with that. But it did mean that especially in the back half of the game, I pretty much always had what I would want to have. That's it. Apart from souls, you didn't really have to farm for anything. No, no. Um, And I mean, uh, the thing that I really liked was kindling the bonfires, like having a limited amount of humanity and making decisions about when to spend it to basically enhance your save point so that when you respawn there, you'll have more Estes, more healing items than you did before. That mechanic I liked so much, Mm. having a limited amount of that, deciding like, okay, This is a central point. It's close to some bosses. Like, okay, I'm going to invest in this one. But even that, I don't think you had to farm humanity. No, no, at all. No, I was so stingy with humanity. And you did the side (laughs) quest where you had to pay 30 humanity. Yeah, which I I think I basically just had at that point in the game. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, In that sense, this was a real JRPG for you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yep, that served me well. One way, of course, it's not a traditional JRPG is in the combat. Right. Which is, you know, by the people who really enjoy these games, often cited as one of the highlights. I think this is a place, though, where you were suspicious coming in. Yeah. I think this is a place where you thought people had Stockholm Syndrome with the game and you were expecting combat that was not that great. Mm-hmm. 
Is that still where you stand on the combat? So no, I was surprised by how responsive and how good the fighting feels in this game. Not every fight is equally good, but <laughs> the the responsiveness of um of your controls, of your maneuvers, of your you know fine distinctions and timing and shielding and pairing, all that stuff was really tight uh, in a way that I was a bit surprised by, but pleasantly so. It made all the sort of dueling situations so much more fun. I think one of the reasons you were expecting this, we talked about this last time, is that you often hear about Dark Souls jank. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and I think it makes sense that you would assume that that would be in the combat. Mm-hmm. I think the, the jank kind of exists elsewhere. There is jank. Or if but... it exists in the combat, it's, you know, an enemy kind of getting stuck on the stairs. You can yeah. use the stairs to your advantage. Yeah. But I think you're right. In the moment to moment, this combat feels so good and so responsive. And yeah. you're... You know, your character is always doing what you want to do, mm-hmm. which can make for really satisfying fights. And I think in your case, really satisfying duels. Yeah, this the combat system in this game lends itself so well to duels. Like, I I don't know when I've ever seen a game pull off the the odds are against you kind of vibe so successfully. Like, even in these huge boss fights you still feel capable and like under control and you still have precision in what you are doing. Um, and like the approach to stamina management in that context becomes really important and really fun. Yeah. So stamina in this game is an incredibly valuable and important resource. Mm-hmm. And it's really the system that I think contributes to the ebb and flow of the combat. Yeah, absolutely. Because you kind of use it for everything. You use it for running like in most games, but I think unlike a lot of games that have stamina involved, it also is when you use your shield, it takes away a certain amount of your stamina when you absorb an attack because right. you're using your strength to push back against that. Right. And then if an enemy if an enemy breaks through your stamina, so if you don't have a lot of stamina or full stamina and mm-hmm. then he hits you again, even if you're holding your shield, that will break through the shield and you'll take the damage. Yeah. And all that just makes so much sense. Like harder, stronger hits, take more of your stamina, like all of that just works. You also need stamina to do any of your physical attacks. Mm-hmm. So if you are completely out of stamina, you cannot even like weakly swing <laughs> your sword at a guy. It's, and there are cases when you have an opening with a boss that in you know, like yeah. a difficult fight and you're like, come on, go, get, yeah, go, I think there's that. The, I think everybody has that experience when they play this game where you know, you just want to get that one hit and you just need that little sliver of yeah. green to appear to give you just <laughs> enough stamina to get one more hit before you have to run away. And no matter what your style is, or at least your defensive style is, you, you really have to manage the stamina bar in different ways. Like for me, I was a roller. Right. Whereas I went much more heavily relied on the shield you, and came to be really actively managing that always. Yeah, you almost never rolled and it stressed me out. Rolling was not my preference. <laughs> but you you really did incredibly well with the shield. And I there was a breakthrough moment for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I was fighting the gargoyles. Yeah, and that yeah. was the moment where you really started to master the stamina bar and how you manage the stamina bar by lowering your shield to build it up quickly and then raising your shield just in time to block an attack and then lowering it again. Yeah, because your stamina doesn't charge back up as fast when you're holding the shield in the defensive position. So you have to let yourself be vulnerable to really recover it more quickly so that you can use it again. Yeah, I feel like so much about my play style that I carried through the entire game actually came together in that fight against the gargoyles. Like so much of that is about managing the distance between you and your enemy, um, really understanding the range of both their weapons and yours. How close do I actually have to be? How do I get out of their range? 
figuring out the timing elements of how to read their their attacks and how to block at the right time and then look for your openings or create your openings. Mm -hmm. There's so much in there. It really brings a lot of different elements together. I think that's like when I really committed to what my weapon was going to be for most of my playthrough. Yeah. Uh, So so your weapon was the halberd. Yeah. 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 So earlier in the game, when I was still figuring out what my weapon was going to be, I bounced back and forth a bit between the halberd and a sword, but I end up sitting on the halberd because two reasons mainly. One, it has really good range. Like you can keep a fair bit of distance between you and your enemy and still get hits in, which is very important. <laughs> and secondly, so much of this game is tight little corridors, and your sword, you swing in like a side to side slash, mm-hmm. and like it will just hit and get stuck on door frames and stuff like that. Like it will, if you don't have clearance. For your weapon, you will not successfully attack. And so the the halberd being a spear is just a straightforward stabbing thrust. Mm. And so I just found it worked much better and was much more consistent and reliable for um, the kinds of spaces that I was having to work with. Yeah, I was also a halberd user, which kind of surprised me because often in games like this, I'm always intimidated when there are so many options of things to use There's so much. as your primary weapon. Yeah. So in those cases, I usually just stick with variations of whatever I start with. The sword. Yeah. Yeah. And in this one, though, you know, I got the halberd and I tried it out. And for exactly those same reasons, just the range and, and especially using it to navigate through corridors. Yeah, exact same reasons. I, I really took to it as well. It's also relatively fast and pretty light. Not quite as fast as a sword, but faster than like the battle axes, like the really heavy stuff. It just it's a good all-round weapon with like pretty good range. I also love how it's it's strong attack. It's big spin is some good um, yeah, area AOE. management. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there are those times when you do get swarmed and it's really, really hard to, to deal with those enemies. Yeah. This, uh, what was the thing that you said they relied on when designing the um, the Zelda group enemy encounters? The oh, type the, of... The Chanbara system? Yeah, this is not a Chanbara game. This is like <laughs> any enemy who can see you is coming for you, period. Yeah. From any angle. Yeah, and this is the thing I noticed watching you play, that you love the duels, but often just the way the enemy AI works would thwart your duels. Yep. Uh, maybe this is also why you didn't seem to really click, no pun intended, with the uh, <laughs> with the Z targeting the, the lock-on system. I mean, that's... This game. That was something that... I think that came late, like remembering to lock on to your enemies. I think that was the gargoyles, honestly, for a, <laughs> for a fair bit. Yeah, because you need to have 360 degree awareness of what's around you. Like you, yeah, you you can both die so quickly to any old enemy, like anyone can take you out if they get you, if they really catch you, you know, off guard. And they can be coming from anywhere. They can have been chasing you for 20 minutes. They can be firing on you from two levels up from where you are. And you don't even realize they're there. It just you need so much spatial awareness in this game. Something I noticed that I was really surprised by and really delighted seeing was how much you did take pleasure, it seemed, in these duels, especially with the Black Knights. Oh, yeah. So we talked about your your first experience with the Black Knight, but then after you leveled <laughs> up a bit, you just got it in you that you were going to fight them. Yeah. And you were just going to fight one. You were going to fight everyone that you saw. Yeah, systematically. And so you had remembered their, some of their locations throughout, and you would hunt them down, and you know you would duel them one-on-one until you won. And sometimes they'd beat you, and you just do your reps. You'd go back, and it was so uncharacteristic. Yeah. You know, you'd lose, and then you'd pick yourself back up, and you're like, I go right to that Black Knight again. <laughs> Get right into the one-on-one duel. 
and and, and fight them in, until you won. I remember that. I had such a good time with that segment of the game because that was a completely self-directed, like, I just want to do this. And I'm going to go do it. But I think at with those, beca- some, because of some of the constraints, like they have, a, they have a relatively, it is a literal two guys with shields and melee weapons duel. Um, and I just felt like I was continually learning and figuring out new stuff every time I lost, even if the thing that I figured out was just like, I got careless. I did that badly. <laughs> like, let's get back in. Um, and so it didn't feel so stopped. And I think that's it was elective, you know, like it just, it didn't, I didn't feel shut down. I felt like I was still progressing in a way. Right. And to go back to, you know, Miyazaki's dream for Dark Souls, this is when Dark Souls is at its best when you die a lot, but every death feels earned mm-hmm. and you learn something from each one. Yeah, so I learned something from each one with these guys. <laughs> I, I don't know that it's true that I learned something from every death in this whole game. Really? Because when you were playing, it seemed that you were really enjoying this process of, you know, that we talked about this before, kind of moving mm-hmm. ahead incrementally, learning from your mistakes, you know, knowing now that there's going to be a guy in your corner to the right and preparing for that the next time. It seemed that that was something that was really pleasurable for you. Yeah, so it was, but that you're describing the exploration parts of this game. So... I I love that the exploration parts of this game are not just hard navigationally, but they are challenging and dangerous in terms of your your combat. Like you still are very actively playing defensively while you're doing all that stuff. That's where I think some of the difficulty in this game really thrives and really serves it or maybe just works with my own strengths and pleasures that I take in this kind of thing. But for me, that was partnered with some just frankly stupid difficulty spikes <laughs> oh. around bosses um okay so your problems with the difficulty were primarily around the bosses they were around not even all bosses but there's a handful where it's just like this isn't a fun degree of difficult and frustrating this is just like i'm getting stomped down before i can even see or learn anything and i just feel completely shut out of like all my there's no momentum it's just stopped here okay Let's take a quick break here, and when we come back, let's talk about your experiences with bosses and then your experience with the difficulty in general. Okay. Not since Shadow of the Colossus have we seen a game so renowned for its bots fights mm-hmm. as the Souls series or the Soulsborne series. And this seems to be the part of the game that you did not enjoy. So, sort of. Um, I I really liked uh, almost universally the boss art design I thought was incredibly good and distinctive. The, the models are incredibly impressive. This a lot sounds, of the environments and set design is really great. It's an incredibly backhanded compliment. It is. <laughs> so I, I went into this knowing that the bosses are infamously hard. So I was prepared to that for that to a huge degree. And I was like, I'm going to die a lot. I'm going to die. It's okay. It's fine. But 
there's a there's a there's difficulty spikes and then there's difficulty spikes um i i said and believed at multiple points in playing this game that this game would be better with no bosses you did say that multiple times and i meant it in <laughs> the moment confirm. i don't 100 percent stand by that now but it is genuinely what i felt and that's because some of them were cases where you know as i said i would have gotten into this flow of like okay, this is really challenging, but I'm getting through, I'm figuring it out, I'm doing my runs, I'm doing my reps, I'm practicing, you know, I've got my fight core, you know, like you're you're building and everything feels productive even when you are dying sometimes in silly ways. And then sometimes I would hit bosses where it's just like the first five times I run that boss, I do zero damage, I get killed before I can even see more than like one of its moves, and so in those cases, I haven't learned anything. Hmm. I'm not in any better position than I was before. Um, I haven't really had time to start to feel out a strategy. Like there literally were times where it would take me six, eight, ten attempts at a boss before I got enough distance and like a live time to watch him do a couple things and start getting used to sort of what his patterns are going to be, which is the whole name of the game with all of these bosses. Yeah, it was whenever you got to a boss that I remembered another red flag that I should have mentioned last time. <laughs> okay. Which is your tendency to procrastinate. Oh. Whenever you got to the boss, it would just be, it was almost comical. I should check my equipment. Yeah. Do I have enough? You know, you'd, you'd fire up the game and then, you know, you'd be at a boss. The, the next thing you need to do to progress is to fight the boss. And, you know, two hours will have passed. You would have not <laughs> seen that boss once because you, you started like, you know, I got to I got to get my toes wet again. I need to go like, run around this area, you know, just get the feel That is the game, a real which thing. Which is real. That's a real thing. So that so that's I'll give you that. And then it's like <laughs> And then sometimes you have almost enough souls for a level up if you just do it a little longer. <laughs> yeah. And then you just need to check your armor or yeah. maybe I'll try this other piece of armor yeah. or maybe I should rearrange my inventory. I'd never. Or maybe I should go and, you know, sell some stuff off because my inventory is getting pretty full. Okay, you can only sell stuff in like the last Fifth Maybe I of should the game. polish my shield. Oh my god! And, and it'd just be so long to be like, <laughs> just not. And it's like, oh, I, I mean, I've already been playing two hours. I guess that's enough for tonight. <laughs> See you tomorrow, and repeat the process. No, I never did that more than one <laughs> night in a row. Don't exaggerate. I did do all those things a little bit, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's again, that's like because I need to. Like, I think momentum of some kind is really, really important for persisting through, especially difficult sections of games. This is the part where I just, I would be flowing and having a good time. And then I would hit a boss. And it was like, sitting back down to play again. It was like, time to go toil in the Dark Souls mines. Like, it was just, it was work sitting back mm -hmm. down. Like, time to be punished for nothing to no benefit for me or anyone else. <laughs> Until I get lucky enough to see, you know, two or three attacks before he kills me and start to figure something out. Yeah. In, in all seriousness, this was the point where you had it with the difficulty. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Especially a couple. And where all of your worst preconceptions about the game and the people who like the game yes. really crystallized. Yeah. So I don't think I was 100% wrong. I think that I, I sincerely think that this would be a stronger game, but a less beloved game if a handful of these bosses were like 10 to 20% easier. 
I think a, a good number of them, I would say for most bosses, I probably beat in like five to 10 tries, something like that. But the outliers were brutal. But but the thing is, those were outliers for you. Yeah. So this is a very mysterious thing to me is the idea. <laughs> I mean, I know there are some bosses um, that I think are pretty universally understood to be difficult, right? Right. Like, and and we've talked about one of those already, which are the gargoyles. Yeah. Because this game, it has a lot of bosses, but certain bosses are kind of your litmus test bosses or your checkpoint bosses where they're kind of renowned for being really difficult because they're the ones that are really making sure that you've learned enough to be able to progress. Mm -hmm. And so the gargoyles, I'd say, are one of those. Ornstein and Smo, of Ornstein course. Ornstein and Smo. Are another one of those. Good Lord. But then, honestly, one of... Probably the single boss that I had the hardest time with and also just viscerally hated, like the moment when I truly would have quit this game and nearly did, was the gaping dragon, who I do not understand is a huge barrier to everyone. You hated this guy. I didn't just have trouble with him. Like when I tell you that I hated him, I mean, I viscerally hated him. I hated being in a game with him. I hated his design. I hated his whole, his name. Seeing those words on the screen <laughs> were just repugnant to me. I didn't enjoy the fight. I didn't enjoy the the gauntlet I had to run to get to the fight, which is through the sewers, through a bunch of poison crap. It's not a conveniently located bonfire. Somebody please explain to me the rationale for why the bonfires are not adjacent to where the boss is and why I have to do eight minutes of shitty sewer dodging before I can go fight this guy again. And... He just It just was miserable. Like, it was the most miserable I was in this entire game. It was completely joyless for me. And when I finally killed him, I felt nothing. I just was like, oh, thank God I don't have to do that anymore. It wasn't like... I was expecting from some of the way people talk about difficulty and bosses in this game, people who really love them, they talk about how good you feel when you finally triumph over that yeah. boss that's been so such Hands a thorn in your sweaty. side. I only felt... Like, thank God I can move on from this. <laughs> I didn't feel triumph. I just felt like I felt like I got out of jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and for me, I obviously didn't beat that boss in the first time or the second time. But yeah, the the gaping dragon was not. I don't. He's not in the pantheon of difficult bosses. He's not bosses on lists, you know. But one who was for me was the Capra Demon. Yeah, and that guy was no big deal for me. Yeah, so the Capra Demon's just this. I don't know, this, this demon, like a horned demon. Yeah. As you'd expect, like a skeletal devil kind of, type thing. Kind of a dog minotaur kind of vibe. And he's got these two little really fast attack dogs with him. Yeah. And he's in this incredibly tight, small He's in like space. a bathroom stall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so little. Which makes him, which is where the difficulty was for me, where I'd kind of enter and, you know, his he'd be swarming you and his dogs would be swarming you and you'd barely be able to get an attack and you were dead. Yeah. And so this guy gave me so much trouble. I had to run to him so many times and, you know, try to cheese him. He has some little stairs there. I'd always try to like run up the stairs and then jump on his head. Right. And stab him through the brain. You went in and maybe your second or third time, I don't know, you did away with the dogs pretty quickly. Yep. And then you just dueled this guy. Yeah. And then okay. he was done. You know why I think that is? Honestly, I've been thinking about it. You were trying to dodge and you had nowhere to dodge roll to. I was using the shield, and that so you don't it. have to. You don't need space to maneuver. I might have been too dependent on the rolling. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta adapt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Capra was like no, like it was no big deal for me. Yeah, so but I do think that right that fundamentally, based on play style and just based on 
just one's own competences. Yeah. Different bosses are harder for different people. Yeah. So I and I so that I don't think that when I say a handful of these bosses need to calm the hell down, I'm not talking about the Capra demon and I'm not even talking about the gaping dragon, my personal like real villain of this entire game. You're you're talking about Ornstein and Smo. I'm talking about Ornstein <laughs> and Smo. That fight is bullshit. <laughs> it's trash. I like I think this is where I think everyone who loves it is just like proud of themselves for getting through it. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> it that yeah, that fight took me a while. Yeah, it it took me more than a while and I mean, this is probably a good time for us to talk about summoning. Right. So I had, I summoned a couple of times, pretty sparingly through right. the entire so, game. Yeah. So there's a mechanic that if you are a human, so if you've used your humanity, you can summon sometimes characters who you've encountered, like Solaire, and sometimes just randos, like a lady with a paper bag on her, on her a head. A topless like, paper bag witch. <laughs> and like a butter knife. Yeah. Who is so useless for you. <laughs> But yeah, you can summon them, and uh, if you're near a boss, they'll follow you into the boss fight. And in this case, these were you can summon human-controlled characters. In this case, they were AI-controlled. Yeah, so my first experience of summoning was the one that uh, made me decide I was going to use it sparingly all game, which is that I had been fighting it out with the gargoyles early on, and I was making progress, but I just wasn't able to get past the the sort of crunch where you're dealing with both of them at once and they're shooting fire at you. Right. So at first you're fighting one. And then once you get him whittle his health down to half health, another gargoyle with half health shows up. Yeah. And starts breathing fire all over the place. Yeah. And it's it's challenging. Yeah. So I was like making progress, but also struggling. You were doing so well. Like we said, this is the moment where you really clicked with the game and you were doing incredibly, incredibly well. And then I think just got bored. Yeah. Like I would have I would have beat him within 10 more tries. <laughs> um but because I hadn't even tried summoning yet, I was like, oh, let's see what this is. And so I turned myself human, summoned just outside his... Uh, yeah, his you brought Solaire in uh, with yeah, you. Yeah, I got Solaire. And we just, like, it was like we nuked them. Like, they just, it was like <laughs> 60 seconds and they were both gone. And so it just, I it didn't feel right. Like, I didn't feel good about it. It was like, oh, that's more help than I really needed. Um, and so I decided at that point I was going to be pretty stingy with my summoning, which I did. And I, I think I said at the start, I'm only going to summon them for bosses that I hate, yeah, not just bosses that are hard. And you decided you hated Ornstein and Smo. Yeah, I did. After a lot of tries, though, I did a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of tries. And I just I was getting nowhere. I don't think I ever got either of them more than like a third of their health off. Like I, I just... I felt so shut down and so like alienated from the game. Um, it was the closest I've been to quitting a game in this entire hmm. season. Including Vice City. Including Vice City. And so eventually I was like, okay, uh, you know, I think there's a place to summon here. Let me just, I'll try it with that. So I get in. <laughs> I know where the summon point is for uh, Solaire because I saw that. So I run up there, summon him. There are these like big, huge night things that you have to get past. So I'm running past them. I see Solaire has gotten distracted. He's trying to fight one of these knights that's going to kill him. And as I'm running back, I realize there's like a weird second like place where you can summon. And so at this point, I'm just like, oh, this is all going to hell. Like Solaire's going to get killed by this other knight and not even make it in with me. So I'm like, okay, this person, whoever you are, welcome aboard, buddy. Come on. And so I summon him also. And then Solaire and this random guy, I don't know who he was. 
um, not a player, uh, and I all storm into Ornstein and Smo, and we eke out a win, the three of us. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I got to not be fighting Ornstein and Smo anymore. <laughs> but like, I didn't feel proud of that. I didn't feel great about mm-hmm. that, and not just because I summoned, just because I was like, okay, thank you for letting me move on past this. Yeah, Smo in particular ended up being one of the most important figures in this game for me personally. So apart from the fact that he's part of this impossible boss duo, Ornstein and Smo. Um, Not impossible. I know. A million people are like, mm, I beat him with them. Like, congratulations. Like, really think through what you're proud of here. Um, so Smo, I had a bit of an issue with Smo. Smo's uh, armor design is uh, essentially a grotesque ad- adaptation of like a fat body. It's uh, super fat phobic. It's gross. He's like got his like fat titties out. Like he's got like a droopy like man. Like it really is leaning into the body horror of just being a fat person. And the the person inside that armor is not that. And it felt weird and gross that like this is alongside like the gaping dragon <laughs> embosses. Um, like that felt really crappy and just like lazy and kind of beneath this game. And so I I sort of felt put off by that. Um, but then I realized shortly after that you can buy Smo's armor from a vendor in Firelink Shrine. And so I ended up buying Smo's stuff and wearing it, it was my endgame armor. I wore it for the entire rest of the time. And for me, this was important because um, my the uh, the chosen undead character that I chose to play as, I, I was playing as a quite big woman. Like, I don't know that I've ever in a video game got to play as like a like fat or big like woman as the protagonist before, which uh, I am one. And so... I think it like being able to put on to sort of um, inhabit that scary, grotesque adaptation of a trait of your own body sort of let me like reappropriate it or um, sort of take it on and be that scary thing. You know, like I I was like, I'm going to kill the god of this world <laughs> wearing this fat titty armor. And that ended up being something that made me feel better about that entire thing. But I, I do still kind of think that I brought that to mm. the game. I think this game, and from what I've seen of uh, here and there, some boss designs in other uh, Soulsborne games, I think there's still some like gross stuff around fat people in other games. Um, I know in Demon Souls for sure. Uh, but anyway, so that's that's the resolution of my relationship with Smo. It was such a treat for me every time I sat down at a bonfire in my Smo armor with his like little gross, he has like a tiny head and I pictured you can sort of see ghosts of other players sitting at at uh, bonfires, and I just relish the idea of some of them seeing this like ghost <laughs> of like smoke, like <laughs> one of the worst bosses of the whole game, just like chilling at this bonfire. So yeah, it was fun to like be the monster in that way. I'm glad you got to reclaim Smo. As somebody watching, it was disgusting. He wears like these toe shoes. Yeah, he's- he does. Yeah. Feet. It it was gross. The whole thing. I didn't like it. Yeah, which I, I guess mean, is the point. Yeah, it's a grotesque. <laughs> but outside of these individual bosses, did you at least enjoy the approach to boss fights? Say versus something like Shadow of the Colossus. The the process of fighting the bosses because really they are just huge duels. 
Yeah. So, so I did, but there, like, there's something I'm struggling with about the way these bosses work, which, as I've said, so much of it is about um, recognizing patterns, recognizing, oh, when he does this with this timing, he's doing this mm -hmm. attack. So almost every boss, when you're first introduced to them, they're presented as so huge and so powerful and so much stronger and bigger than you behind your little shield. Uh, and there's something that I think happens when you have learned all of their patterns and you figure out that they only have like four moves. There, There's something in there, especially once you figure out how to manage all the moves, like they'll still get you sometimes, but it's almost like um, the awe... It, the awe is kind of sucked out and, and they start to feel a little bit sometimes like just a uh, a, a bundle of programming that yes. you can sort yes. of predict. That is that is the Dark Souls experience when it's like see it's like plugging into the matrix. This is the most satisfying part of these bosses that they just seem like these unpredictable, intimidating beasts. And over time it's it's like time stands still mm -hmm. and because you can start actually seeing what their moves are right like you do see it feels the like programming. it slows down yeah yeah i don't know to me that's the most meaningful and important part of these games having that experience when you know you can't when you first encounter a boss you can't imagine ever beating this thing mm -hmm. and then you know by you know time whatever five you can not only see everything they're doing and, you know, what seemed like an unpredictable, you know, thrashing of a huge monstrous body is now you can identify certain moves. Mm -hmm. Not only that, you can predict the moves. Yeah. And so, it's, yeah, like seeing the game behind the veneer, I think, is a part of the Dark Souls experience. Yeah, me. I think it I think it works for the gameplay part mm -hmm. of the like. I'm not saying it's not fun to figure out those patterns and be able to like weave around them mm -hmm. and, and block them and blah, blah, blah. But I think there's something about how alive the world feels that kind of falls away in those moments. Um, and they don't feel like you're fighting, you know, the witch of Isolith. Like they stop feeling like a character in that way. And they I mean, start the witch of like, Isolith is just like stuck to a bunch of bramble anyway. So yeah, but okay. So bad example. <laughs> <laughs> you like, you know, a boss like Quelag, who has this incredible character design. She's like a, a beautiful woman's torso. Again, titties out. This game loves that. Um, like welded to a spider. Like it's, it's so overwhelming when you first see her and it just, being like, oh yeah, now she's gonna do her lava move. Like, okay, you know, jump two two steps to the right. Like, oh, okay, yeah. I'm good now. Like, slice of her. It's like that's just that's no longer this um, this body horror beautiful thing, and that's now just the guy that I'm dodging and gonna stab twice I guess and move. From my perspective, that fight, watching you do that fight, was my favorite moment of your entire playthrough. Whoa, because of. I got to see you go through that process of being completely overwhelmed by Quail Egg. This is when you summoned the lady with the paper bag on her head, yep. who was absolutely useless. And she stood in the entryway <laughs> and then died. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, you you were trying to summon someone because you just couldn't get through Quail Egg, and then the summon was terrible, so you decided you were going to do it. And just seeing you go from being overwhelmed to figuring out what a plan, like what the plan would be, and then executing that plan. And really, by the time you beat her, you barely sustained any damage. It was mm -hmm. really impressive. Thank you. Yeah. And again, like that, that was fun in from the gameplay combat perspective. 
I don't know, it changed something about how it felt to, to know that that figure existed in this world. And I mean, maybe that works with some of the larger themes of the game. You know, it's very much about how, you know, there are these gods, but they're fallible and they're killable and they are dying just like everything else in this world. These are the and mental like, gymnastics that we play with Dark Souls. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm trying to be generous a little bit. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't fully like I I definitely had I definitely enjoyed that dynamic often. I'm left with some interesting questions about what it means to be programming um, these large epic battles with figures that you want to feel like are more than just uh, the sum of, you know, the, like I said, the four moves that programmers mm. put into them. Like, it, you know, you brought up Shadow of the Colossus. And so not every Shadow of the Colossus fight was like this, but some of the best ones, you know, they did have a little bit of a move set, but often, you know, as you took out the first target on their body, they would change and, and start doing something different. And so the fight would evolve. And then when you hit their next thing, they would do something completely different. I mean, there was one that that's like swiping at you as you run through these ruins and then takes out mm -hmm. this bridge that you're on. Like the... You know, that would start to feel like code again if you had to fight them five times the way you have to fight these bosses, right? You'd know that like, oh, okay, after I hit him once, he's going to do this, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. But for the experience that you're getting going through it, the way most people probably do those bosses, which is fighting them one to two times realistically, um, they feel so much more alive than a lot of these. They feel like you're surprised in different ways and you have sort of room to experience that as opposed to just trying to chug Estes Flask <laughs> and like stay alive. I really like this point. It's one I don't think I've heard before about how the difficulty and having to do the repetitions and just the familiarity that you get with the bosses or, you know, the space you're trying to get through does call attention to the gaminess of it. Mm -hmm. And that maybe, you know, if you're actually trying to create something like Shadow of Colossus, like right, a living world, a sense of a, of a living world and real you know, living majestic beasts that maybe the, maybe difficulty would get in the way of that. And, mm -hmm. and really the one to two time encounters per boss is ideal. Uh, but there were a few things that probably should have taken you more time than they did. Uh, these were times when I was less impressed because <laughs> you cheesed the hell out of some of these things. What is our house rule? No shame in cheesing. Yeah, except, okay, remember on the last episode when I talked about when I threw the disc in the garbage fighting that boar? <laughs> yeah, because you used all of your items on it and did no okay, damage. Okay, yeah. Michelle's encounter with this boar was unfair <laughs> and should not count. There's an asterisk this is how you know I did great. beside her playthrough oh my God. because of the encounter with this boar. Because here's what happens. Michelle's fighting this boar. It's a difficult boar, especially when you first yeah, yeah, fight it. Yeah, yeah, for where you are, yeah. This spore gores you through a wall. Yeah. You are dead. But in the process of goring you through the wall, he ends up in fire. The game takes so friggin' long. <laughs> well, it has to pause and tell me you died. <laughs> it really wants you to see that, that screen. In the process of you dying, the boar who's on fire also dies. Yep. So you die. And then when you get back to that position, because the boar is a non-responding enemy, there is no more boar. Just as I'd planned. I was madder then than the time I than the time I put the game in the garbage. Oh my god. <laughs> this was the moment this was maybe the real moment when you turned on me. Not yeah, the you, Capra Demon, it was this. Yeah, you did not need support anymore. <laughs> you were like, you're on your own. Blah blah blah. Other things you did, there's this huge, like decaying undead dragon. Oh yes. You, hanging off the side of a cliff. Yeah. Michelle, not an archer, but no. has this little crossbow. 
that oh it wasn't a bow it was manual <laughs> it was a long bow and just decides that she wants to kill this dragon and so hides behind a rock and then just chips away like 30 HP at a time for yeah. this thing that has like thousands of HP. <laughs> yeah. Just sits there for half an hour, chipping away until he's dead. I had to go to a vendor and buy arrows for that. <laughs> and then, and to be fair, I think a lot of people cheese Gwyn, the final boss. With uh, he's got he's in this really nice arena, but has all these stalagmites. Yeah, and you can use them uh, as defense. Yeah, you keep them between you and him, and you can sort of dodge around and get a hit in, and then put them back between you. Yeah. So as a as a final boss fight, that one anticlimactic, pretty anticlimactic. Yeah. Uh, though, I think you found most of the game, the story parts anticlimactic. This is something else that is often brought up when talking about the overall difficulty of the game, kind of the difficulty of the narrative, the opacity of the narrative. Yeah, you might say that uh, the Dark Souls narrative is the Dark Souls (laughs) of narrative (laughs) because they are not helping you with anything. And by not helping you, I mean not even bothering to explain very basic shit to you so you understand what you're doing. (laughs) So I was was expecting you to respond to the way that this game does its storytelling more because you're somebody who likes lore and you're someone who really responds well to environmental storytelling. Absolutely. You did not respond well to this game. This is it taken to an extreme that I find stupid and borderline personally insulting. (laughs) Like, does does Vati Vidya have an actual writing credit on these games? Because they should. The amount... Okay, so... Just for context, there's a, a wonderful YouTuber, Vati Vidya, who has made all these, let me explain to you what is actually going on in the world of Dark Souls videos that are like the accepted guides to what's going on. And boy, I think do these games benefit from the narrative flair that that <laughs> creator brings to their videos and how accessible they make things. I would love to see a notated version of that with citations of where these things are coming from, because I suspect that there is some hypothesizing and some, I think they are a a uh, significant fan creator. They come from uh, the lore that's attached to all the items and you piece them together. And sometimes you don't get items on a playthrough. You have to play the second time. For example, you got the small armor. Had you defeated the bosses in a different order, you would have gotten the Ornstein armor and you could learn more about Ornstein. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just think so. You know, I, I'm okay with it being a pretty bare bones story. That's fine with me. Um, but it there are certain things, <laughs> for example, the pretty large decision of whether or not to link the final shrine, link the final bonfire um, or not is pretty significant. And the, the stakes and exactly what it means to do or not do that, I don't think we're super clear. Um, and I just think there's it's a weird design choice to me in a game that asks this much from you, that asks for this much persistence, this much careful engagement to not give, not make sure that most players at least are going to have a basic understanding of what the choice is that they're making at that culminating point. However, that's completely consistent with the game's general approach to the ending of this game, which is basically just to pout that you beat it and turn itself off. So so I must explain. I think Michelle got legitimately furious three times playing this game. The first time was after you finished Sen's Fortress and beat the iron golem at the top these like gargoyle take creatures come to grab you and bring you to an orlando and michelle was really furious because she thought she was gonna have to fight them right after beating this boss yeah 
So you got mad that time and then that dissipated. Yeah. Second time you got furious in the catacombs when Patches kicked you down a cliff. Can I tell you, literally the only reason I would boot this game back up is to go back there and murder Patches. (laughs) I think about it occasionally. (laughs) And then the third time you were furious was when you beat the game. I was so mad. You put me through so much. And listen, listener, the end of this game, you fight Gwyn, you kill Gwyn, it says victory achieved, and then... There's a there's a bonfire behind him, which is, you know, a lot of bosses have this. And you either uh, light it or just walk out of his area if you want to not light it. So when you light it, literally what happens is you sit down and it does the standard lighting a bonfire animation and then it cuts to credits. When you catch on fire, you catch on fire. There's a sort of a fire happens and it cuts to rekindled the flame. And that's it. That's it. That's all it shows you. That's all this game has to show you. And then it cycles back to the beginning because it's that is that is about in so many ways your impact on the world and changing things in an irreversible way in this world, having an impact, things not coming back because of your actions. You know, NPC quests that are sparing but memorable that you're advancing shows you none of that. So it gets does not offer you any opportunity to see anything about the consequences of your actions, what becomes of anything or anyone just literally is like, oh, good job. I guess you beat it. And then like basically shuts down. Like it is. Why? Why? Why are you like that? Why are you so not giving game? I can't believe it. I'm still floored by this. This is the worst ending of any game I have ever experienced. And please remember that I was raised by Mass Effect. <laughs> this is so brutal. I'm shocked. It just feels it feels careless and indifferent in a game that is so lovingly crafted in so many respects. I just like, did they run out of time? Were they out of money? Like, I I'm shocked. I'm still I'm mad again right now. <laughs> You asked so much of me, and this is what you give me in return. Unbelievable. This is That's Dark Souls, baby. <laughs> it's very much about the journey. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. See, this is the kind of shit that people who are like committed to the idea of liking these games are like, you have to understand, it's really more about the process. Like, <laughs> shut up, man. We talked about the process. I'm talking about the ending. I'm not going to defend the ending and uh, we're running short on time here. So there's so much more that can be said about this game. It's an enormous game. It's the longest game we've played. And no shortage of people <laughs> willing to say all those things. <laughs> uh, so let's just get your your final verdict on the, on this game. Based on where you started, what you were thinking about Dark Souls and where you ended up now that you've actually completed it. Has your thinking about Dark Souls and maybe the Dark Souls as the cultural artifact mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and, you know, the the game that helped spawn a new genre if we want if we want to call it that um any new thoughts about that so i think it's more complicated than i thought it was going to be i think i like a lot of the uh game design choices that 
you know, this series has spawned. I don't think I'm in, I was entirely wrong about some of the fan response to it, though. I think the difficulty question is really, really complex because one of the things that sticks with me when I'm when I'm trying to address this in my own sense that like it, some of these bosses are just too disproportional of a spike and like you just need to need to tune those down a little bit is the fact that different people, like I said, have difficulty with this game at different points. Um, like I, I constantly think about this one part in Anne Orlando where you have these uh, castle archers firing at you that I know your brother, who is generally excellent at games and has played like most of the FromSoft games, he said he struggled with that part so much, mm-hmm. whereas I ran straight through it. I don't think I got hit once. It was a completely, I wouldn't have remembered that part of the game if it were not for him <laughs> mentioning that mm-hmm. like it beat him down so bad. So I'm I'm really kind of, one of the questions I'm stuck on is this variability of what we are all experiencing as so difficult about this. Have I right. correctly <laughs> identified the points that are actually the pain points for a large number of people? Right. And and this is why, on the one hand, I do think that right some kind of challenge or difficulty is integral to the experience of this game. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the argument that an easy mode would be taking away from creator intent or would take away from the experience as intended doesn't hold any water with me because nobody's experience of this game is the same. Who, Which of those experiences is the quote-unquote intended experience? Because some some people, some of these people who are really quote-unquote great gamers who, yeah. who who make these arguments, they likely experience the game so much more easily than other people. Right. right. The game is so much easier for them right. than it is, you know, just for, for us, or, for example. Yeah, if you grew up on, like, fighting games mm-hmm. and you have been, you know, a whole lifetime of of playing some of the things that this draws from a little bit, you, you are already having a different experience of the difficulty than I did on my playthrough, fundamentally. Like, some parts of this are always going to be relative, um, and so I'm I I'm still in favor of some of those fine tuning tools. It it's just a little harder than I was expecting it to be for me to pinpoint exactly what I would want those to be. I mean, I also kind of wish this game had a a really easy mode that you could run through and just like go look at stuff. Mm-hmm. Like this game should have a photo mode. Like the environments are so cool. You would still get so much out of this game even without the um the sort of badge of pride challenge mm-hmm. element of it like i think i think it actually is strong enough to stand on its own without the difficulty element and that's not me saying that the the difficulty doesn't add something but i don't know i don't understand i will never understand being threatened by the idea of other people having more options to make things viable for right. them i don't understand what i just don't understand anyone who is against that categorically i think that's very silly. <laughs> right. And to make those arguments by leaning on this sense of some kind of pure experience that is probably not the experience that you're having anyway yeah. is just kind of disingenuous. Yeah. It's it's just a little silly on its face. So my my end sentiment is like, yeah, I think um I think if Ornstein and Smo hit a little less hard on all of their hits, I probably would have come away liking this entire game more, as silly as that sounds. But I I also do appreciate some of the difficulty in the structures in a way that I wasn't expecting to. Well, I think that about wraps it up. Uh, Before, though, we check in on your predictions and get your final score, I have a little gift for you. What? And so here you go. This is terrible audio, but I I, I passed (laughs) Michelle a a tube that came in the mail. Oh, my God. 
it's a little gift to commemorate uh, you finishing Dark Souls, but also all of the games that you played to to finish this season. Oh my god! Is this the the entire Dark Souls world? That is, that yeah, that is uh, a representation of Lordran. Oh my god! This is like almost it's it's a it's a big like poster size thing, but it's like. Almost exactly the thing I was talking about. Has anyone ever like printed a 3D model of this that is like yeah. actually to scale? This Shows is, how it's all interconnected. This is so cool. I love this. Look at C slab on the top with the crystals. So we'll tweet a picture of this out. This is awesome. I, I deeply appreciate this. I think this is so cool. So you did it. I think one thing you proved is that you can beat a From Software game, but that has nothing to do with being a gamer. Yeah, I think that's that's the conclusion. Which you we knew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the real question is, will you ever play another FromSoft game? So I've been thinking about this a lot. I think I am, if I could play Bloodborne, but not fight any of the bosses, I would <laughs> start it like tomorrow. Like the, the navigation in between stuff I like so much. Um, but I just, I have no faith that I would be willing to persist through some of the boss silliness Without the, you know, without having made a commitment to do so. FromSoft Games, better without the bosses. You heard it here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean a bit. <laughs> okay, let's quickly check in on your predictions. <laughs> okay. Yeah, as I mentioned, after you gave the predictions, you did really well. So we're just going to check in on the ones you got wrong, which are not that many. So I asked you, what is a dark soul? Mm-hmm. Shockingly, you did not say the soul of the furtive pygmy. Yeah. So I get that one wrong. <laughs> <laughs> furtive pygmy is a very evocative phrase <laughs> i asked you what a smo was you said a shopkeeper maybe the most wrong you've ever been yeah although i did get his shit from a shopkeeper <laughs> also that would have been a great shopkeeper name <laughs> i asked you um whether or not some names were bosses mm-hmm. you said no to nito which is wrong which is wrong you said yes to fetid cavity, which yeah. is wrong. Thank God. You said yes. Although that's basically the gaping dragon, I would argue. <laughs> you said yes to Monrak's chair, which was wrong. Yeah. And then all the others you got correct. You were right. There was no boss named Eric. Yeah. And there was a boss named Pinwell. Hell yeah. And then uh, in the rapid fires, you also did really well. Because uh, I died a lot. Uh, you didn't actually die by being chewed. Is there an opportunity to? Yes. Oh, yeah. By the is. By the mimic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you never fell for the mimics because those internet assholes warned you with the little <laughs> markings. I was so mad. I did still get chewed by them multiple times, but never to completion. Never to your death. Yeah. And apart from that, I, there are some other chewing enemies, but I don't know if you I don't think you ever died by being chewed. You died by other means. Yeah, there's so many other ways to die. I just didn't get around to that one. And the only other one that was incorrect was also because of your own choosing. You said that you would get punched by a, by a mushroom. Mm-hmm. You can get punched by a mushroom, but you avoided those mushroom enemies. I just did too good. So you would have gone perfect if you... If I was worse. <laughs> <laughs> if I died by being chewed by a mimic and if I got punched in the face by some dudes that I just outran. Then you would have done better on your predictions. Well... So do you have a score for this? I do. We already know you gave it an A on your tier list, so I expect this score to be quite high. Uh, well, it's long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is it the Dark Souls of I better get started. Here, let's go. All right, buckle up, everybody. 
For every fight against an enormous sword and shield knight, plus 20. For the unshakable creepiness of just about everywhere, plus 15. For the unnecessarily opaque stat system, minus 12. For the safe haven of Firelink Shrine, plus 6. And for the bonfires generally being such a warm light in an unforgiving landscape, plus 8. For my friend, the Jolly Onion Knight, plus three. For telling me about Framp's bad breath, plus four. For then putting me straight inside his mouth, plus five. For creating the best everything connects to everything maps in Super Metroid, plus 20. For the aggressive ragdoll effect on dead enemies, plus 15. Every game do that, please. For respecting and valuing cheese, plus 10. For the gaping dragon, I am forced to deduct 12 points. For balancing the game such that most of the Lord Souls bosses ain't shit, minus four. For the depth of lore, secrets, and insane shit that I barely scratched the surface of, plus 13. For that ending, though, minus 10. For making at least some of the bosses optional, plus six. For the splendor and surprise of Anne Orlando, plus eight. For stepping up to some guy the size of a skyscraper and holding your ground, deflecting his attacks with your little shield, plus 30. For sticking to a limited move set, plus 10. For never letting you feel like a fake, flashy action movie hero, plus 5. For being unexpectedly funny in strange moments, plus 4. For Ornstein and Smo, plus 8. But for the larger balance issues, minus 20. And for being undeniably memorable, singular, ambitious, and absolutely full of surprises, plus 25. For a total of 157 points. Whoa. Yeah. I got some good news to you. It's not singular. We got some more Dark Souls. It's singular for me. <laughs> you know what? I mean, as I said, maybe Bloodborne under the right circumstances. Maybe not. Maybe part of it until I inevitably quit, <laughs> which I would have on this too. But I think that's it for us. And I think that's it for season one. Yeah, you've gone through a bunch of great games. And Vice City. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, and I think we're ready to keep going and uh, maybe play some weirder stuff, stuff with, yeah. I don't know, stuff that just feels less grandiose. Yeah. How I'm looking forward to some more stinkers. <laughs> maybe some stinkers. <laughs> Probably not a lot of stinkers. Yeah, just some, just some, not not just the hits, you know? Yeah, or some hits that are not the, you know, on the... No, we're going to do some bad ones. Okay, we'll do some stinkers, I promise. <laughs> I'm sure we will. Um, just to repeat, if you haven't listened to our holiday episode, which was a lot of fun, uh, we are going to be back in two weeks with a sort of inter-season uh, grab bag episode. There may be, be some stinkers in there. I'm confident that there will be. I actually be. have one game for you in there that I don't think you know exists, mm -hmm. that I think will blow your mind when you learn that it exists. And I have never played it, but it is a known stinker. Oh, okay. See, this is what I'm talking about. This is the variety we're going to be bringing you. <laughs> <laughs> so stay tuned for that. Yeah. And then two weeks after that, we will be back with the official start of our season two. We'll be picking up with the first arc of season two, which is going to be about interesting, weird mechanics in games, which I'm really looking forward to. So please stay tuned and join us for that. May live to regret. I'm sure I will. <laughs> I, yeah. Um, thank you so much for listening to this entire season. This was uh, so fun to make and we're so grateful that you've uh, come with us this far. As always, if you enjoyed this episode or this whole season, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, whatever you listen to us on, or you could tell a friend. 
It's the perfect time to get caught up or hop in on the new season. <laughs> and that stuff helps us a lot. Uh, all the information about our show, everything we talk about, all that good stuff is at neverwasagamer.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter at neverwasagamer. Yeah, thanks so much for listening. And we'll see you next time after Michelle has got some rest, but is ready to reembark on her never-ending quest to become a true <laughs> gamer. Gamer.